Hi, Josh Sorrell here from Sandhill FWB Church in Sandusky, Ohio. The podcast that you're about to enjoy was given live before our congregation here at Sandhill, and we pray that this podcast will encourage and challenge your walk with Christ. For more sermons like this, as well as additional Christian content, visit our website at www.sandhillfwb.com or check out our social media pages on YouTube and Facebook, keyword Sandhill FWB Church. May God continue to richly bless your journey every step of the way. We will be in Romans chapter 3 this morning. If you want to be finding your place there. And um, I have a brand new thought this morning. I have never preached this and uh, really kind of just a brand new thought for me all the way around. Um, made me a little bit nervous, the, the new thought that I'm going to preach, but um, I gave it a lot of prayer, and with everything that's been happening in the church and in the country and where we are here individually at Sand Hill, um, just became really clear that this is this is God's direction for us. I um, may take a little bit for that to sink in, but I, I believe this is where God would have us to go. So let's let's look at the scripture. I ask you to stand if you're able. Romans chapter three, <clears throat> begin reading at verse number one. <clears throat> What advantage then hath the Jew, or what profit is there of circumcision? Much every way, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid. Yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. As it is written, thou, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings, and mightest overcome when thou art judged. <clears throat> Let us pray. Father, how I thank you for the service. How I thank you for everyone that is with us this morning. What a, what a blessing it is, Father. And Lord, as we look at your word, Lord, as we try to give them what you've given me, Lord, I beg you to get me out of the way. Lord, let them not see me. Remove me, Father. And anything that I might think or say, would you take it out of this message? Lord, may the Holy Spirit move in all of our hearts. Lord, may we understand, Lord, what we need to do uh, moving forward in the church, I pray. In Jesus' holy name, and amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> So last week we learned, as we look at, as we look at the book of Romans, we've, we've learned that those who don't have the gospel are still accountable to God. We've learned that religious people in church still accountable to God. We've learned that, that those that are um, very self-righteous and think they've got it all figured out, they're going to answer to God. And we've learned that there's no way to get to heaven except for Jesus Christ. And that is what this book is about, and that is what Romans is going to teach us. And Paul is just a, a, a piling up uh, argument after argument after argument on uh, you can't get to heaven any other way than Jesus. Amen? That's the only way to get to heaven. And last week we studied about that Paul was addressing, and he said circumcision, you know, if you, if you are circumcised, that's not going to save you. You won't be able to go to heaven unless you keep all of the law. Outward righteousness will not get you to heaven. And then we go right on in uh, to Romans chapter 3. Now, Paul is addressing uh, Jews and Gentiles in this Roman church. It was a Roman church uh, that, that 
would have been a Gentile church, really, but there were Jews in it. So he's addressing, so imagine there's a congregation, you've got Jews, you've got Gentiles. And so Paul, after he makes all this argument about righteous people and keeping the law, he said, what, what's the advantage of being a Jew? What, what's the advantage of being a Jew? To, to all of you Jews, what's the advantage? And then he said, what profit is it to be circumcised? He just told us in last chapter that circumcision won't get you to heaven. He told us last week that Jew, being a Jew, is not one physically, but it is of the heart. And he says, what benefit is it to be a Jew? And what benefit is it to be circumcised? That's almost a surprise, Paul says. There's a lot of benefit, much in every way. There's a good benefit. You say, what is the benefit? So what is the benefit of being a Jew that won't get you to heaven? And what's the benefit of being circumcised that won't get you to heaven? And neither one of them make you righteous. Paul, it doesn't make any sense. Why is that a benefit? There's no benefit to it. You're still going to go to hell. Right? That's what we learn. So what's the benefit? He said, much in every way, because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. Now, if you understand what that means, that means that the Jewish people received the word of God from God. And their family heritage was to sit down and teach them, this is what God says. And so if you were in a Jewish home, uh, you would have been taught from a child all the way up, you would have been taught, this is what God says. This is the oracles of God. This is what the Bible says. This is what God has spoken to us. We received the word of God. The Jewish people did. So you were taught all of your life the word of God. Is that a benefit? That's a benefit. But then look what he says. So this is so interesting. It's so intriguing. So what's the benefit of being a Jew? What's the benefit of being circumcised? What's, what's the big deal? And then Paul says there is a great benefit because you received the word of God. But then he went on to say, even though you were raised and received the word of God and were taught it from a child, verse number three, what if some did not believe? Could the Jews be raised in a Jewish home, taught the word of God their entire life, and still go to hell? Yes. <laughs> That's what he's saying. You're a Jew, that won't save you. You're circumcised, that won't save you. You've been taught the Bible all your life, that won't save you. But let me ask all you guys, is there an advantage to being taught the word of God? See what he's saying? It won't get you to heaven, but there is an advantage. And then he said, shall their unbelief. So if you have some Jews that chose to not receive Jesus Christ as their Savior and they die and go to hell, shall their unbelief, verse number three, make the faith of God without effect. So if you have some Jews that were raised being taught the word of God, and they grew up, and they heard about Jesus, and they rejected Jesus, and they died and went to hell, does that make faith void? No. It's still how you get to heaven. It doesn't change anything. There are people who were raised right, and they didn't go right, and they went to hell. doesn't change that it's still right. That's what Paul's arguing here. And I love verse number four. Paul just, just straight up in your face dogmatic. God forbid. God forbid that because someone decided not to believe in Jesus, that that would make faith void, that that make the gospel not work. God forbid. He said, yea, let God be true and let every man be a liar. Can we all say amen? amen. God is true. 
And every man is a liar. Doesn't matter what you think. Doesn't matter what you believe. It's what God says. And then he said that that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings and that thou mightest overcome when thou art judged. So Paul again is, is addressing the fact he's just piling up all these arguments that you can't get to heaven any other way than faith in Jesus Christ. That, that's the whole crux of everything we've been studying. And here he's speaking, if you were raised in a good Jewish home, taught the word of God all of your life, you're still going to die and go to hell if you don't accept Jesus. Okay, that's the message. Okay. So we can close the Bibles up now. We say it's a good lesson, and we learn everything because we don't have any Jews here. Right? There's, there's no Jews here. <laughs> okay? So this, I mean, we got, we got the part about the Jews. It doesn't apply to us. Let's go home, right? Let's go out back and eat. <clears throat> but there needs to be an application to you and I. We can study through this book. We can find a lot of things that, that we're not Jews. Right? We're not Jews. There's no one here that's a physical Jew. You don't have, you're not a, a direct bloodline descendant of, of Abraham. So do we just say this does, we don't need this verse and we'll just throw it out? No, we still need to figure out how it applies to us. So let's, let's bring it into New Testament, Sand Hill context, and let's see if we can find this a use for this today. So work with me here. It's the exact same thing, it's just, it's just changing the context. What advantage is there of being raised in a Christian home? Is there any advantage of being raised in a Christian home? Is there an advantage? If you're raised in a Christian home, does that make you go to heaven? No. Still go to hell. It's still go to hell. And so let's go on. What profit is there in being raised in Christian ways? What profit is there? Will being raised in a Christian home and being taught the Christian way make you go to heaven? No. Still die and go to hell. Still die and go to hell. Right? It won't, it won't make you saved. But is there an advantage to being raised in a Christian home? See? That's what he's saying here. And he said, unto you, was, unto you who were raised in a Christian home, you were taught the word of God. Can you be raised in a Christian home, do Christian things, be taught the word of God, and still die and go to hell? Absolutely. Is there an advantage to being raised in a Christian home, being taught the word of God and doing Christian things? Absolutely. So you see the argument here? See what Paul's doing? And if we have, and we do, If we have some people who are raised in a Christian home, who were taught Christian ways, who have learned the word of God, and they do not believe, does that make everything else void? It's still the right way. Do you guys get the argument? It's really kind of clear. Because we can point to some people who were raised in a Christian home who did not receive Jesus and who died and went to hell, that doesn't change what God says. God is true and every man's a liar. So so that that is what we're trying to establish here. Being raised in a Christian home will not get you to heaven. Being taught the word of God will not get you to heaven. But can we just all say it sure does help? He sure does help, right? Wouldn't it be great? Let's just stop hearing the messages. Let's just talk for just a minute. Wouldn't it be great, all of you moms and dads out there, wouldn't it be great if our kids came with a guarantee? 
Just do this and this and this and it's guaranteed they'll turn out right. Wouldn't that be great? I mean, wouldn't you just love it, man? As long as we do this right thing, it's guaranteed. It's not. You can, you can raise your kids in a Christian home. You can do the right things and your kids can still turn out wrong. It has always boggled my mind. I know many of you have, we've all talked about and thought about it. But isn't it, isn't it just astounding how you can have two siblings raised in the same home by the same parents, took the church the same way, did exactly everything was exactly the same, and one sibling will serve the Lord their whole entire life and the other sibling will never go to church. Isn't that amazing? Think, what happened? Wouldn't it be great to just say, it's guaranteed, you, parents, if you do this, it'll always work out right. But that's not the case, is it? So why don't we just stop having Christian homes? And why don't we just let the kids figure it out on their own? Right? Tina says no. Okay? Because there is an advantage to having a Christian home. There is an advantage. That's what we want to talk about. So I would like for you to do a little, this is a little logical thinking. I need you to do this with me uh, before I give you the points this morning. <clears throat> this is just a little bit of introduction. <clears throat> but I want to ask you some questions. You guys know I'm a logical thinker. This will really help you if you'll follow this argument. When Jesus comes back, will there be real Christians on earth? Will there be? Will there be real, genuine, born-again people who will go to heaven when Jesus returns? Absolutely. There, there will be. There, there has to be. Now, the picture we see in the New Testament is that the church will become compromised. There will be a lot of heresy. There will be, uh, there will be um, apostasy. The, the church, the picture we see drawn out in the New Testament is not encouraging for the end days. The end days, the church gets bad. But the Bible clearly says there will be faith when Jesus returns. In other words, there's going to be a real church, real genuine Christians who will go to heaven when Jesus comes back. Everybody agree with that? All right, there will be believers. I'm going some of this. You really need to understand this. <clears throat> so if you believe that. Now, I know that a lot of us are going around, including myself, I believe the end is near. It seems like, with everything that's happening, it seems like the end is near. But can I tell you, 100 years ago, there were people, people saying that? 100 years ago, they were saying the end is near. It could be any day, right? Can I tell you this, that Paul in his day, 2,000 years ago, they, they thought before they died, the Lord was going to come back. So I believe the Lord could come back any time, but we don't know. It may not happen. So if there will be, because the New Testament says so, if there will be genuine, real Christians when Jesus comes back, what if Jesus doesn't come back for 100 years? What if Cason is an old man? Cason's 90 years old. There's three generations under him. And Jesus hasn't come back yet. But there's still a real church. Okay, now I need you to follow this. I'm, I'm going to, this is a very logical argument. A very logical argument. What will the church look like 100 years from now? Just, just think about that. Logically, I've, I've given you guys this illustration until you're tired of it, I know. But 100 years ago, they were fighting about whether we should put windows in the church or not. We need to have no windows. It's, it's unbiblical to have windows in the church. They were fighting about should we put padding on the pews. They were fighting about should we have a piano in the church. They were fighting about all these things. Why were they doing that? Is there any church on the planet now that fights about we shouldn't have padded pews? <laughs> I mean, is there anyone who says, you know, you shouldn't have piano? What I'm saying is, those things that were huge years ago, they're no longer even an issue today. Now we fast forward 100 years. Now the generation that's older than me, they're dead. My generation, we're dead. The younger generation, Joshua's generation, they're dead. And now the little kids are running a church. But God said, if I tarry, there will be a real church 
still here? What will it look like? And you say, what do you say all that for? Because I think we get it in our mind that the way that we used to do it is the only way there is to do it. The way we're doing it today is the only way there is to do it. Can I just tell you this? If you know anything about church at all, in America today, you know, it astounds me how much church has changed in 20 years. Just everybody's, everybody's that. It just blows my mind how much church has changed in 20 years. All conservative churches have changed. All of them have. You say, yeah, they've compromised and they're not doing what's right and they've, they've, they've just given into the world and everything. Have they compromised on the Bible? There's a lot of things in church today. We put padding on our pews. Shame on us. We put padding on our pews. Did we compromise morals? Did we compromise the Word of God? No, we broke the way we've always done it. My, my, my argument I'm trying to make on this is church changes. If you go back, I've done this a lot. I love churches. If you go back and study history since, since Jesus died until today, the church has changed a lot. The truth has never changed one time. The truth has always been the same. The gospel's always been the same. How you get to heaven's always been the same. Christianity's always been the same. Sin has always been sin, and right has always been right, and wrong has always been. Those things have never changed for 2,000 years. But you look back over the church, and it has changed a lot. Just it, it, it has to change because the culture changes. Now, in the world we're living in today, how many of you know that the world we're living in today, the United States of America, has changed? It is not... It is not the country that my dad was raised in. It's not the country that I was raised in. Can I be honest with you? It's not the country that Josh was raised in. It's barely the country that Kaysen was raised in. <laughs> Are you following me? It has changed. So the church is going to change because that's what the church does. Now we, as the pastor, I have to be very, very careful not to ever, 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 because this is what we stand on in this church, not to ever allow any change whatsoever to come along that would go against this book right here. Listen, I am responsible for that. We, we can't make any changes. We can't do anything that goes against this book. We have to stand on morals. We have to stand on right and wrong. We have to stand on sin. We have to stand on what thus saith the word of God. We have to stand on the gospel. But there are things that will have to change. So that being said, again, a a message I've never preached, a little uncomfortable preaching it. The reason I say I'm uncomfortable preaching it because I, to be real honest, if I'm just real blunt, I don't like this message. What I'm getting ready to tell you guys is something new. I don't like it. Can I, can I just say this? You guys never thought I'd say this in all my life. Everybody ready for this? You guys are going to have a heart attack. I like the old way better than the new way. Because the new way makes me very, very uncomfortable. Makes me very, very uncomfortable. But I believe it is what God would have us do, and I believe it's the right thing. So you guys, uh, you guys work with me through this, and we'll see if we can't look at this new way God has given me. The, the title of the message, by the way, is A New Approach, uh, a new approach to Youth. I'm going to talk about young people this morning. That's what this, this text is about. So this person here was raised a Jew, a little boy, a little girl, raised in a Jewish home, taught all the things of God, taught the Word of God. Uh, they may have accepted Jesus. They have, may have rejected Jesus. There is a great advantage to being raised in a Christian home, but there's no guarantees. That's kind of the sum of, the, of that text. So we're going to look at this this morning, <clears throat> a new approach to youth. So I would like to look at how, from point number one, if you're right, taking notes, point number one, how we raise our kids. Now, I want you to think about this. For probably at least 50, 60 years, you know, if I have my history all right, the world was kind of normal until the 60s. 
Is, there, is anybody with me? If you think about this, this is really astounding. From Adam and Eve until the 1960s, we were fairly normal people. A man was a man, a woman was a woman, man worked for a living, woman took care of the family. It was fairly normal. 1960s come along, we just turned the whole thing upside down, right? And since then, it's kind of just been crazy, right? Morals and everything got thrown out the window, sexual revolution, everything that happened, all that started in the 60s. So the church, at least since the 60s, has had two primary ways to raise kids in the church. If you were in any church in America, there were only two ways to raise your kids in America. The first, play, the first way I am going to title it uh, the protection uh, philosophy. We're going to protect our kids. So we're going to keep them from the world. They're going to be fully involved in the church. We're not going to allow the world to have any chance to corrupt our kids. We're going to homeschool our kids we're going to send them to Bible college. They're not going to know anything except for the church. Because the world is an evil place. Okay? And their whole life will be about the church. The priority of that parent is we want our kids to go to heaven. Okay? Now, that's how me and Renee raised our kids. I remember when our kids were little, I said, we're going to keep them from everything bad. We're, we're, we put Josh in a Christian school. We homeschooled our kids. We, they, they weren't involved in the world and worldly things. They were raised in church. Their life was church. Everything was about church. It was all church. That's how we raised our kids. Okay? So that, that's number one way to raise kids in church. The number two, and this, is, this was very, very popular. This was very popular in this church, but it was very popular all over. Uh, the, the second way that we raise kids is I want them to be popular in the community. We've seen a lot of that, haven't we? So mom and dad say they're Christians. They come to church. They bring their kids to church. Uh, they want their kids to go to heaven. But I want my kids to uh, be popular in sports. And I want my kids to be popular at school and in the community. And I want my kids to have lots and lots of worldly friends. And I want my kids to be well socially uh, developed. And I want my kids to go to a secular college. And I want my kids to have a great career so they can make lots of money. And I want my kids to have great prestige. And I want my kids to be that picture of the American dream. And that is priority. And I hope they go to church and make it to heaven. Are you guys with me? That's the two philosophies of raising kids. I mean, that's generalization, but that's basically the way it is. And so there are a lot of, kids, a lot of people who raise their kids, and they say, well, I took my kids to church every Sunday, uh, but, you know, when there were ball games, we went to ball games. When there were worldly things, we did worldly things. When, they were, when I, I pushed them to be popular in the world, I pushed them to do all those things, because I want them to have a good thing. I want them to have a good job. I want them to have a good marriage. I want them to have all those other things. And then they're like, I don't understand why my kids aren't saved. <laughs> okay? Is everybody with me? Is, is that how it works? That, that is how it has worked for, for, for a very long time. It has always astounded me. And, I, and I'll be honest, th- this is a very big thing in church. And I, don't, I, believe, I believe at this church we've pretty much, I, don't, I, really, I hope there's not one parent here who's of this mindset. But I can just say this, this is very popular in church, and this was very popular in this church. It astounds me that some people think getting a good education and getting a good job and making a lot of money is priority number one. And priority number five is, I hope they make it to heaven. It astounds me. 
My kids are going to go to hell, but they got a great job and everybody thinks they're something. That astounds me, okay? So, but those are the two mindsets. In church, most people are either going to raise their kids, protecting them and keeping them completely from the world, or they're going to shove them out into the world and make them popular in the world. Okay? So, I think we can say, if nothing else, we can say this from youth camp. But would anybody here work with me? Have we seen clear, just just clear evidence of what kind of kids those two things produce? Have we seen? You see a child who was raised in protective mindset and you see a kid who was raised in a popular one. You go to camp, I can point out which one they are in, in, in two seconds. Right, this one here, very, very worldly, very, very popular, super, super cool kid. All the cool kids like him. Looks just like the world, acts just like the world. Is like totally accepted by the world. Kind of likes church a little bit. The other kid, a little more timid, a little bit less worldly, a little bit more Christian, and loves the Lord. We have clearly seen there's two different uh, uh, outcomes from the way we raise our kids. So point number two, so the first one was how we raise our kids. Point number two, how kids turn out. So there's a philosophy on raising kids, but it does matter how they turn out. Does does it matter how they turn out? It does matter. So, I think I skipped something. (laughs) Okay, I'm good. Excuse me. How how are kids turned out? I had a brain fade there for a minute. Uh, so is if if we protect our kids, so you have that philosophy to protect your kids. You're going to keep them away from the world. They never know the world whatsoever. Okay. So how do those kids turn out? Can I say that most of the time there are no guarantees with kids? We've already established that. But can I say that the percentage of kids who are saved and in church, the percentage goes extremely higher when they're raised that way. Right. In other words, if you really put, if you really protect them from the world, the percentage of those who stay in church and are, are godly people uh, greatly goes up. Not only that, but those kids who are raised that way, most of the time they grow up and they their family is more like that. Their family is more Christian. Their their marriage, their kids, all that is more Christian. And here's just a just a small little detail. There's a lot more chance of those kids that they actually go to heaven. Is that important to anybody here? Those kids actually go to heaven, okay? So let's look at the popular kids. There is a high chance that they leave church. They've been taught all their life that the world is important and all the things in the world is important and making money is important and having a good job is important and being you know, popular in school and all those things are important. And then, they, and then when they turn 18 or 19, church is very boring to them. Now, you've all heard the statistics, and I've shared this many times before, but they say something like 90% of the kids that are raised in church, when they turn 18, they leave and never come back. Can I make a kind of a, a, blunt, sub, uh, a, a blunt statement here? Those are the kids that are raised like that. The kids that are raised in a protected home, most all of them are staying. The kids that are raised in a popular home, most all of them are leaving. So they say 90% of the church is leaving. They say, what are we going to do? We're losing all the youth. We're not losing all the youth. We're losing the ones that were raised worldly. Am I making any sense? Okay. Their marriages often, they think, but this is so very important if we could just grasp this. Their marriages often don't turn out well. 
What happens if you're taught all your life, be popular in the world, have lots of worldly friends, the world is most important, churches needs to fit in there somewhere. You know what you're looking for? You're looking for the cheerleader or the quarterback so you'll be the most popular person getting the perfect place. And it doesn't matter if they're a different denomination, doesn't believe they believe in God, doesn't matter if you're unequally yoked, you're wanting that person that makes you look like you're really something. What happens with those marriages? They fall apart. Listen, you can't stick God in as a, as a sidekick. He wants to run the show, right? And so often those marriages don't work out. And here's a little thing for you. A whole lot of those kids aren't going to heaven. Okay? Are you guys with me this morning? <laughs> okay. Are you guys with me? Thank you. <clears throat> so all of that being said and all of that being done, that is the way it has been done since the 60s until now. Almost every church and every, every Christian parent, family in, in, in church has either raised their kids kind of, we're going to completely keep them from the world or we're going to shove them out into the world. That's basically, in general terms, that's basically how it has been done. And I'll be honest, I don't, haven't really seen in my life in church or listening on podcasts or anything else, I haven't really seen any other approach to raising. That's the only two approaches I've seen. I just haven't seen anything else. <clears throat> but here's a, here's a question I want to ask. Is there a shortfall in both of those approaches? There's a shortfall in both those approaches. Both those approaches, I believe, don't produce what we need to produce. And I'll just say this before I go any farther. I have for years pushed, I raised my kids that way, and I have pushed you guys to raise your kids that way, the protected, keep them from the world. I have always, and I've always, but I believe there's a third option that we should uh, consider or, or really put into place, a third option of how to raise our kids. So let's look at just a few faults. Um, we've already discussed those that are raised the popular way, shoved out into the world. Uh, spiritually in particular, they have a lot of, a lot of problems, and we've already discussed that. But here's something I would like for you to think about. <clears throat> I remember this so very clearly. This, this message brought back a lot of memories for me. When, when our kids were born, before our kids were born, you know, me and Renee were just like you guys. I know it's a long time ago, but I remember very, very well um, when, when me and Renee first got married, we didn't have any kids, and I remember thinking to myself, this world is such a mess, I don't want to bring kids into the world. We're not going to have any kids because it's a bad place. I remember talking to my dad. Dad, I don't think we should have kids. The world's in such a bad place. We had kids. Then I remember scared to death for them to be exposed to the world because afraid the world's going to get them. And I remember being able to keep them at home and homeschool them. And, keep, and they, had, they were in church all the time. Our life was church. Our, all their friends were in church. Everybody didn't have any worldly friends. No worldly thing. They were just all in church. And then I remember, I remember this so very clearly. I don't know if anybody else is with me. I remember when Josh graduated high school in the realization I can no longer protect him from the world <laughs> now what are we going to do can we just homeschool him until he's 55 <laughs> I mean can we just do that can we just I remember you know Rachel's going to leave home and I remember specifically thinking to myself I have kept them from the world and I have not allowed them to be exposed to any sin and they love Jesus but now they have to go out and live in that ugly world and they've never been exposed to that before ever and I remember the terror that came over my heart thinking I can't protect them from that I can't protect them from the world I can't say if you find a job make sure there's nothing but Christians there when you work there Right? I can't say when you go out there, make sure that you're not exposed to anything bad. 
Listen, when you leave home, you're going to be exposed to a lot of really, really bad things. Right? Now, thank God, my kids are a little older. Thank God he, he got them through that. They both have good marriages. They both have good lives. They both have fantastic kids. Uh, but uh, but they, they, God got them through that. But do you see the problem when they're completely protected from everything that is bad? Now, I've heard a lot of parents say, and I believe this is wrong, I've always fought this all my life, but I've heard a lot of parents say, well, yeah, if you homeschool them and you keep them away from every evil, then they're just socially, they're not socially developed. I tell you, my kids are more socially developed than most kids that are raised in school. I don't think that's a great argument. But there is that, dare I use the word naiveness of how evil the world is? Because it's never been there. Right? And so... <clears throat> We're not, the, now here's a really big one, and, and this this is this hits very close to home for me. They're not prepared to be challenged. I want you to think about that. They've been all of their life. They've mom and dad has said this is the way it is. The preacher said this is the way it is. All their life they've been protected. Now you know so many. We've had so many kids in this in this church who have went off to a secular school, and the professor has said, "Your parents are stupid. Your preacher is stupid. The world was uh, came from evolution. There is no such thing as God. And if you believe that foolishness, you're just stupid." You know what those kids would say? Yeah, mom and dad are stupid, and the church is stupid, and I'm going to believe the professor. Do you know why that is? They were not prepared to be challenged. It's like putting someone out there with a, with a gun that has no bullets in it. They, they had nothing to fight with. And so those kids often are deceived because they were not ready to be challenged. <clears throat> now here is, this is something that is really, really big. I want you to think about this. Those kids turn into adults... And what do those adults want to do? Stay inside the church where there's no bad things. Because if we go out in the world, that's bad. Stay inside the church. Now, after I preached this for all these years, I want you guys to answer this question. Was the church in the New Testament designed to stay inside these four walls? No. no. We were designed to go outside these walls. But we're afraid to go outside these walls because the big bad boogeyman's going to get us. We've got to stay inside the church. So there's a fear of going into the world. And... The Great Commission is abandoned because as a child and as an adult, our main objective is to stay in safety and not have to face the world. Is anybody with me? Does this make any sense? So, I have a new way I want to introduce to you guys. I have a new thought, a new idea. Some of you are scared to death and some of you are confused right now, but I have a new idea I want to introduce to you guys and maybe this won't make sense to anybody else. But if we've been called to lead a youth camp, and seemingly we've been called to impact youth all over the state, and, and, and seemingly we are having a, God is using us in, in really even, even in a national way to impact the youth. And if in our own church God is raising up many youth, and we have a youth ministry that is not developing, does it make sense that maybe we ought to be the ones that say this is how to raise youth? Do I need to say that again? Because you guys didn't look like you got it. 
If we are set in a place to be an example, to have a youth camp and all the things that we do, and if God is raising up young people in our church, does it make sense that maybe we ought to be the ones that say, this is how it ought to be done? That makes sense. That we would be able to set that, that standard of how to raise our kids. So here we go. Point number three, a different approach. A different approach. Who's scared right now? Who's scared? <laughs> Preacher, the only way we can raise them is keep them from the world or shove them out there in the world. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to offer you a third option. <clears throat> I know this is kind of radical. But what if we would teach our kids doctrine? <laughs> what about that? Any of you guys ever talked to Javi? That, that boy's a little, he's a, he's a little uh, two-foot preacher boy, that boy is. But I mean, he can just, anybody ever talk to Kaysen? Kaysen comes up to me almost every service. Now, Papa, I was listening, and he knows exactly what I preach and what I was doing. Shouldn't we just shove him off the corner and just, the Bible isn't important? Teach him about Jonah and David and, you know, a couple of cute Bible stories, Daniel and the lions, and that's all they really need to know? Or what about if we said this is the only way you get to heaven and everything else is going to take you to hell? <laughs> God help me right here. Do you know what one problem with that theory is? A whole lot of adults don't think that's important. If you adults don't think doctrine matters, why should the little five-year-olds think it matters? But if we start right now and today, and from the time they're a child, we say, we're going to teach them doctrine. We're going to teach them what thus saith the word of God. We're, we're, going, to, uh, we're going to equip them. I, I've got a little, uh, um, whatever you call it, a little, a little uh, bounce off of our church on purpose. I've got kids on purpose. I propose we start doing kids on purpose. I propose that we no longer just raise them, keep them from everything bad, and hope they turn out right. I propose that when they are little, we start saying on purpose, everything we do in Sunday school, in youth church, everything we do, youth camp, everything we do, it is on purpose to build you into a soldier that can face the world and win. Here is, what, here is what dawned on me. And I've preached this many times, you guys, so you know. I, I'm backing up on things I've said before because I, I've never heard this preached before. I've never, I, I've never thought about this before. But here's what dawned on me, and this just breaks my heart. I, I am so ashamed and embarrassed to say this. But here's what dawned on me. When Josh and Rachel were little child, children and, and they became adults, and I was afraid... What I was really saying is, I know the sinners are a lot more equipped than what my kids are. They're prepared, and my kids are not. And I have always preached, and I have always believed, and we've just seen it played out, that if, if, you, you, know, if you have a boyfriend and a girlfriend, one's in church really faithful, and one is out of church, and they get together, what will happen? Church, what will happen? 99% of the time, what will happen? They'll go out of church. Is anybody with me? You, you, I'll get them saved. No, you won't. 99% of the time, the Christian will stop going to church and they will stay home with the lost spouse. Almost always. I have good, Christ, I have good friends that are in the world. They drink, they cuss, they do all kinds of bad things, but I, they're good for, I'm going to lead them to the Lord. Church, what happens with those kids? They end up out in the world every time. 
And I've preached that over and over because it's just, it's just the way it is. We, we are pulled towards the world. But is it possible that the world's doing a whole lot better job of raising their kids than what we are? I, Bill Jacob sent me a thing last night. I watched it. I'm not bringing politics or anything else into the world or into the church, but uh, he sent me a little thing. I watched it last night, and this man was under talking. He was talking about politics and all that. And, and, I, and I'll just say this, and I'll move away from politics. But this is the truth. The liberals are doing a very, very, very good job at what they're doing. And the conservatives are doing a terrible job at what they're doing. The liberals are getting their message across to the whole wide world is believing it. And the conservatives can't get their message out. We need to change that. It's the same way in the world. It's the same way in the world. The sinners are doing a phenomenal job of saying, if you sleep with a whole bunch of people, you get drunk every night, and you, and you, and you have a big fancy house, you have arrived. And everyone's saying, that's what I want. And the church has done a terrible job of saying, if you do what Jesus wants, you can have the best life you could ever have. But we have, we have shrunk back and said, the world is better than us. Why don't we stand up and say, we have the truth and you guys are a bunch of liars. But here's the problem. And this has been heavy to my heart for since, for, since I was a little child, but Charles. Most Christians now, let's just leave the kids out for a minute. And I'm not trying to offend you. I'm just trying to be real straightforward with you guys. Most adults whether you're 30 years old or 75 years old, most adults cannot stand up to the world. They will get drugged right under. Because you say, how do you know? Because a lot of you guys talk to me. You guys go talk to your friends. Something you listen to some preacher preach or some friend you talk to or some crazy thing you watched on TV, and you come back and tell me how it's true. And I'm thinking, where did I fail? What is wrong? You go to this church, you could possibly believe that? Listen, you all people say, that is false, and I will not fall for that junk. But that doesn't happen. The adults are swept right out. You know what that tells me? We're not trained. We're not equipped. Fourth chapter of Ephesians, the whole purpose of the church, it's not everything we think it is. The whole purpose of the church is to come here and be perfected, to be equipped, to go out there and stand up against the world. We should be in a place... We should put our children in a place when they are challenged over evolution or creation. They very proudly stand and say, I'll fight you on that one because I have the truth. Instead of embarrassed because I don't really know. My preacher said we don't believe in that, but I'm not really sure why. Does anybody get this? And we can just go down through the subjects. We, we go through all the subjects. But can I just tell you, we have the truth. We have a very intelligent, logical uh, uh, answer that will answer every question the world has. But most Christians do not know it. And I am arguing that we need to start, instead of saying I'm going to protect my kids from all harm, and this is the part I don't like about the message, but what we need to be doing is we need to be saying I am going to get Kaysen and Kalen and Javi and, and Peyton and everyone and, and Juliet and Kari and every little child in this I am getting them ready to send them out into the world and take over this world with Jesus Christ. Now as a grandpa, I'd rather say, no, let's just keep them in here where they're safe. Let's just keep them in here where they're safe. I don't want them out there in that bad stuff. But they're going to face it. But here is where I am confident. If we will do what God wants us to, we can have them little guys armed up with bullets everywhere. And we don't have to worry about the world tearing them down because they say, I know the truth. 
You know, I was raised in church, and, um, you know, from the time I was born, you know, all of my life, my mom and dad, my mom and dad have always taught me, always, Brother Charles, this is the Word of God. This is the Word of God. It is to be respected. It is to be obeyed. It is to be listened to. It is the inerrant, infallible Word of God. I've always been taught that. Now, when I was five years old, when I was 10 years old, when I was 15 years old, when I was 20 years old, there wasn't a man with any gun or any persuasion or any intelligence who could have talked me out of this is the Word of God. You could shoot me, but you wasn't going to talk me out of this is the Word of God. Is anybody getting what I'm preaching this morning? Our kids need to go out of here saying, I know why I believe in creation. I know why I believe in a man and a woman. I know why I believe in marriage. I know why I believe that is wrong. I know I have doctrine. I have understanding. I am grounded. I am rooted. You can't take it away from me because what I have is solid and it will not be taken away. And then as parents, we're not scared to death to say, I hope they're not exposed to the world because the world might get them. There is nothing like the, I don't know if I'm getting anywhere with this or not. I don't know if that makes sense yet. There's nothing like the feeling of knowing your kids are rooted. Does anybody want to know your kids are rooted? You know, um, I, I can preach this with my kids being older now. I remember when CJ started down there to work, and, and I, I'm trying to be as sensitive as I can how I say this. CJ was 18 years old. CJ had never been exposed to all the terrible things out there in the world. I went and got him a job where I work. And I thought, oh. <laughs> as, a, as, a, as a young boy, I don't think I ever told Rachel this. Close your, close your ears, Rachel. But I, told, I pulled CJ aside and I said, listen, buddy. I said, they're going to be naked women down there everywhere. I said, you can't be looking at that stuff. Because it's everywhere. I can't protect you from it anymore. For 18 years, but now it's there. There's going to be words you've probably never heard before, hearing all the time. There's going to be vulgar. And, and, and I'll be honest, I, I didn't know CJ could handle it. And I thought, what if it just sucks him right out into the world? What if he says, this is what I, does anybody get what I'm saying? And to his credit, he has now become a man who has been around all that sinful stuff, and he's respected as a godly man in the workplace. There's a good feeling knowing that your family is rooted, that the world can't just sway them, but that's not going to happen on accident. Listen, we are not going to have unmovable youth on accident. It will be on purpose or it will not happen. If we don't start doing things around here in Sunday school, in junior church, and everything that we do, and all that we do, and all that we promote, we're, we're, not, we're not building adults who will hide in the church. We are building adults who can handle the world, who will go out into the world, and can challenge the world. I have the truth, and you can't sway me. What about... What about if we started challenging our youth? What about that? I, I know they're a little bit little right now. Is anybody, is anybody, am I alone up here this morning? What if we started saying, I don't think that's right. What makes you think that's right? 
Can you back up what you believe? What I'm trying to say is we don't need a bunch of sissies going out here scared to death of the world. We need some people going out here, soldiers, who say, I know what I believe. I have the Bible. I have doctrine. I have clearly established what I believe, and the world can't take it away from me. Am I living in fantasy land here? Am I, am I living in a fantasy land? I know a lot of adults don't have that. I get that. I, I know that maybe that's never been popular. It's never been the thing. I, I see so many people that are deceived so easily. Can I just say that the, the, the world will deceive you easily? And probably better than the world, the church will deceive you. There's enough preachers and, and crazy Christians out there to get you all messed up. I would to God that the, and that's what Church on Purpose is all about, but I would to God that the adults in this church would get rooted and grounded where you couldn't deceive them. But we need to get our kids anchored in the Word of God. Totally convinced, no question about it, totally convinced, there's only one protection that really works, and it is the Word of God. Keeping them from harm, keeping them safe, it's a great idea. But the world is going to get a hold of them, and we need to equip them to be able to handle it. So, we need to teach them doctrine. We need to teach them what thus saith the Word of God. I'm going to say something that's a little unpopular. Well, it's very unpopular. It's extremely unpopular. <clears throat> I heard a preacher say this the other day, and, and this is, whatever, I'm, I'm just going to say it. <clears throat> now, I believe this, but another preacher said it, so I'll, I'll, t- I'll, I'll take the slap in the face. But I heard a preacher say that we now live in a time when people don't read. And when you don't read, uh, you're not a thinker, and when you're not a thinker, you are vulnerable. You know, that's very, very true. I've been, you know, every last one of you here just about criticized me for reading, but I'm a big reader. How are you going to get deceived? Well, here's the funny thing. I know a lot of people who read the Bible who really get deceived. They don't, they don't know. They're not grounded. They're not rooted. And, and, and you learn by thinking, by reading and taking things in and thinking things through. So what about if, if we started teaching our little children, listen, you need to read the Bible and you need to be reading other things, and you need to be filling yourself full of information so you will be loaded when you're faced with the world. Now, I'm not saying this braggingly, and I, I don't know how to say this in the right way, and, and I probably shouldn't even say it, but can I just say, I'm not afraid of the world. I, I'm not afraid of the world. I, I, I'm not afraid that I'll go in tomorrow and they'll, they'll convince me that God's not real. I'm not afraid they'll convince me that a man's a woman and a woman's a man. I'm not, I'm not afraid that they'll convince me that anything I've learned is wrong because I know why I believe what I believe. I have spent my entire life learning it and say, you can't take it away from me. Amen. But there are a lot of people, God help me, God help me here. And, and, and if you guys know how much I love you guys, there are a lot of people who talk to me and this is what they say, I know my Bible. You know what I know? You don't know your Bible at all. You, 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 you're, you're, you're about a, a quarter of an inch deep. You don't know your Bible. And it takes nothing to throw you off. We need to get deep in the Word of God. And in this messed up crazy world, and in where I started out, now Kaysen is 90 years old and all of us are gone. Listen, there's no older generation. There's no one here that knows the old time way. There's no one here who can hold us to the thing. It, it is, and there's younger generations coming up with who knows what. What do we want them to stand on? 
how we've always done it here, that may not even be... Listen, by then they might not even have church buildings. Right? They might be out in fields. They might be in people's houses. I just, not, just a slight rabbit trail. I just read a book just this week, and the, the guy who's promoting this book, you know what he's promoting? And it's catching on. Listen, this is an old-fashioned idea. It's, it's Book of Acts. You know what he's, this, this guy pastored a mega church with 10,000 people in it. You know what he's promoting today? We need to get rid of all of our churches and start having house church in people's houses. <laughs> By the time Kaysen's 90, there may not be such thing as a church building, but there'll still be a gospel. And they'll still be right and wrong. And they'll still be the Word of God. And if we instill it in Him now, it'll still be good till He's old. But if we don't take this serious, you know, I, I really feel like I would lay down my life in a heartbeat for my grandkids. But by the time, the truth is, I can't protect them. When they're 18, 19, 20 years old, when they have to go make a living, when they have to be, I can't say I'll go to work with you and protect you. I can't say I won't let anybody say some bad words in front of you. The truth is there are going to be all kinds of evil around them. If we don't equip them now, we're setting ourselves up for failure. Amen? So let's do it. Let's do it. Let's create an army. I pray every single day. I hope some of you that are praying for youth, I pray every single day that God will send us new youth into this church, new young people. Uh, Jacob and Jamie have taken on that ministry. The Sunday school is doing new things. We've got all kinds of things going on. But let's build an army that in about 10 years will be ready just to take on the world. Is anybody with me? A fighting machine. A fighting machine equipped with the Word of God confident, bold, not backing down, because we know the truth. Amen? We pray that this message has stirred your soul as you continue on for Christ. If you've been blessed by this sermon, we encourage you to share this podcast with others that we may together embolden each other for the kingdom cause. To listen to Sandhill Sermons live, you can join us Sundays at 11 o'clock on Facebook and YouTube. You can also find additional content such as our Steadfast Studies podcast or the NOYC Godcast for Youth provided by Sandhill for spiritual growth of all ages. These can be found at sandhillfwb.com or on all major podcast platforms. May God continue to richly bless your journey every step of the way.